0: Or an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy the definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the Mirror Universe. The Mirror Universe has never been so treacherous
1: hello and welcome to the ready room the and sci-fi microcast I'm Kenny and I play Nathan Quinn the captain of the USS Arabella
0: and this is Jen I play the Vulcan first officer commander Savril
1: All right, so after a month hiatus from the RPG, and I
0: some yeah, have been <laughs>
1: some, and then a few weeks for the actual Ready Room podcast, we're back! Yay! Yay! Hey. <laughs> uh, it's good to be back. I missed uh, doing the Ready Room, so everything seems to calm down a little bit in my personal life, and I've been able to uh, hopefully pick back up. And wow, what a what a season this has started already! But uh, we'll discuss that later into the podcast, I guess. Um do you' don't have anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well said. <laughs> On today's show we'll have the story so far, and we have several forum members reading posts for the first week of season eight. Also, Jen and I will discuss season 8, and then we'll have our final thoughts.
2: As you know, it is over. You have entered
0: our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far.
1: Our first reading is going to be Act One, the Prologue. It was done by Jen and Hawkeye Meds, read by Jen. There's a second post to the Prologue, written by Jen alone, also read by Jen. Joseph
0: DeCon sat looking at the empty space in front of him. Only five minutes before, he'd been viewing a message from his brother Theron. It was nice to receive well wishes from him, but then his brother ruined those good intentions with the shocking news that his father had escaped from a high-security asylum. Theron went on to reveal that their father was responsible for the deadly AI chip implanted in Joseph and twelve other individuals, against strict Section 31 orders. His brother sent him the message on an encoded bandwidth so as not to be detected. Theron de Collin decided, for once in his life, that the truth would be better told straight away. He followed up this information with the details of his new missions for Section 31, including the individual he'd be working with. The security chief was propped on one elbow, still holding the pad in his hand. The sickbay was quiet, and only a few medical personnel still bustled about. He heard a throat being cleared and lowered his personal display device to see Dr. Drett standing at the foot of his bio-bed. "'Feeling better?' she asked in an amiable tone that could brighten the darkest mood. Joseph gave her a warm smile. Hello, Royla. How long have you been stealthily overing about? Long enough to see your face transition from a serene smile to a serious frown. DeColin put the pad down on the other side of the bed and turned it over. I've got a lord on my mind. Can you keep a sacred? As long as what you're going to tell me isn't a danger to the ship or this crew, then doctor-patient confidentiality will be honored. Cross my heart. Hope to die. She smiled at the children's oath. That's something Velaross's youngest daughter, Marilda, used to say. She was always making me promises. But that was four hosts and 215 years ago. It's possible I've got the wording wrong. How did the rest go? Stick a needle in my eye? The son of a Starfleet ambassador taught my daughter that vicious vow. Humans can be so morbid. No offense, Lieutenant. Nuntaiken. Though I can't say as much for Commander Sabrail. I said something improper to her upon my arrival on the Arabella." Ryla raised an eyebrow. That's uncanny. That was her reaction as well. Is that what you're worried about? Vulcans have tough skin. I'm sure she's forgotten it by now. I thought it was out of earshot. You know, was. But a Vulcan airing was more sensitive than I thought, and she let me know it. And I guess you could say we got off on the wrong ear. He chuckled at his own joke before continuing. I've been out of the world of professional attitude for quite a while. But I'm back in form now, so to Spike, The trouble is, I've learned something that I believe is important to her. It's extremely sensitive information. I feel it's necessary to share it, but she's not going to want to hear it from me. Rayla patted his arm reassuringly. Don't worry. Lieutenant DeColin always does the right thing. Even if it means risking his own life. I believe that's why you're in sickbay now, isn't it? Ensign Dunn and that child you saved are very grateful that you didn't hesitate to do the right thing back on Taros. You've faced down a ferocious animal to save their lives. I doubt Commander Savril is all that scary. Ryla looked up to see Susan Kane watching their exchange from her station. The trill glanced to DeColin, who had also noticed the nurse. Susan stepped out from behind her terminal and smiled. I was going to the afterburner for dinner. Can I bring you anything, Joseph? Fish, chips, mushy pays." "'Oh, and gravy That would be nice,' he said. Nurse Kane stifled a smile and left Dret and DeColin for the lounge. Ryla waited for the doors to close before turning to the lieutenant. "'She's been at your side every day since the surgery, and not just while making her rounds. She came in here to check on you when she was off-duty, too. "'Susan's an excellent nurse, but somehow I believe her concern is a little more than professional.' She smiled at the lieutenant as he began to flush with mild embarrassment. She's been having her meals at your bedside for the past few days, but you weren't much for conversation then. Now that you're awake, I'm sure you'll be much better company. I'm headed to the lounge myself, and I won't be back to check on you. I'm sure Nurse Kane will do that for me. Ryla winked at the security officer and headed for the transparent double doors. The ancient symbol engraved on the tempered glass came together as they closed behind her. The lieutenant sighed. Picking up the pad, he tapped it against his head in thought. He contemplated the new information Theron had given him, but annoyingly, the words of Dr. Dret kept entering his thoughts to distract him. Susan had been at his side the entire time? He had been rude to her the first time they met. A yawn assailed him, and he closed his eyes tightly as he drew a large breath of sterile sick bay air. When he opened his eyes once more, he brought the pad before him and tapped the yellow and blue bars. Lieutenant Joseph DeColin, Save. FTAO, Commander Savril, delivered this message in event of no communication from Lieutenant Joseph DeColin lapsing 120 hours during Arabella service. Information to be opened by Commander Savril, Code 1, Section 1, Arabella, 9473. He hesitated a moment, then sent the message before deleting it from his pad. Feeling weak, but happier in the knowledge of Susan Kane's interest, he sank into his pillow and drifted off to sleep. Ryla Dret preferred a leisurely pace. After her first host, Cabric, fell to his death while rushing up the Tanarian ice cliffs on the Trill homeworld, her edict became, I'll get there when I get there. Because of this decree, the joined Trill was chronically late. Ryla was always at least three minutes tardy wherever she went. Of course, she made a concerted effort to be prompt to work, for her duty as a physician demanded reliability. But when off-duty, the Trill was deliberate in her dilly-dallying. Luckily or unluckily for Ryla, no one awaited her arrival in the lounge that evening. Rumor had it that the Terosik mission was successful, and Spring Farmer, a friend whom the doctor routinely met for dinner, would soon be returning from her very first away mission. It was an assignment that Ryla had yearned to be a part of, but instead, the assistant chief medical officer was left in charge of sickbay. Heading up the ship's medical facility was a responsibility she was no less appreciative of, Yet exploration was one of her greatest aspirations. Though Ryla was happy to live vicariously through spring, she hoped to experience her own adventure in the near future. The next time she saw her friend, Ryla would interview the science officer about her experiences on the planet that the Arabella currently orbited. She entered the turbolift and called for the appropriate deck, then clasped her hands behind her back and casually leaned against the back wall. The lights from the deck floors ticked past the window slits as the lift ascended towards its destination. They were hypnotic, and as she watched their rhythmic pulse, she found herself contemplating the last conversation she had with Spring a week before. The Fertilians' people corresponded with one another via pheromones, and the young science officers often utilized this technique to gauge and affect the moods of other species. Spring had shared her interpretation of Vryla's reaction to the chief tactical officer after she watched them converse before his departure to Teros. Dr. Dredd initially rejected Spring's analysis, for trills were rarely flustered, enamored, or infatuated, but Catan had been creeping into her thoughts since their brief exchange, and she wondered if Spring had chemically influenced her sentiments. She quickly dismissed that possibility when she recalled their introduction aboard the Tiberius. At the time, Ensign Farmer was not a part of the crew and therefore could not be accused of playing matchmaker. Ryla bit her lip subconsciously, and as she absently observed the decks fly past, she couldn't help but smile at Spring's perceptive observation. The lift slowed and the door opened to deposit her on deck 11. Her smile narrowed slightly, but her expression still denoted a buoyant disposition, and she stepped onto the soft gray carpet with a notable bounce in her step. As she headed down the corridor, Busy crewmen with missions all their own flowed past like spawning fish swimming upstream. She greeted them each by name, and despite their haste, they managed to smile and say hello to the dainty trill. Aside from Dr. Peterson, and perhaps Captain Quinn, Dr. Ryla Dret was one of the few officers who could honestly say that she had met every crew member stationed aboard the Arabella. Everyone ended up in sickbay in due course, and Ryla had personally examined a good number of personnel and their families. She was well liked, and the admiration of her patients was due in part to her perpetual optimism and her bedside manner. Another of her mottos was compassion for others is secondary only to a cheerful disposition. The mindset was unique to Rila Immerin, the host who later became Rila Drett, and this attribute was the basis for her conscription into Peterson's staff. There were many physicians who were more experienced, but Ryla's combination of attitude, ability, and ingenuity made her a uniquely qualified medical officer. She proved herself worthy of the posting during an epidemic that plagued Captain Quinn's ill-fated Akira-class starship, the USS Tiberius. Ryla stepped in for the incapacitated CMO, and while the entire crew was quarantined on Volsonar station, she and Arya James toiled to develop a cure. It took almost a year to create but the accomplishment earned her a position as Assistant Chief Medical Officer aboard Quinn's newly minted, intrepid-class starship, the USS Arabella. As she approached the oaken double doors of the Arabella's most popular hangout, her gaze turned to the holographic sign positioned above them. The blue flames that spelled the name of Jadan Marley's Lounge licked the ceiling like a hungry targ. It was a glitzy directional for a starship and she wondered what sort of under-the-table dealings Jadan had to do to gain Starfleet's approval for the installation. Ryla continued to admire the sign as she stepped through the doors and entered the bustling atmosphere of the Afterburner. It was open mic night, and the room was alive with music and patrons eating and playing pool. She slowly scanned the room for an available space and noticed a dark-haired man of immense physical stature sitting at her favorite table with two small children. She knew the children well, for Marin and Naval had come to Sick Bay on several occasions. Rila found another spot near the back of the room and watched them from afar. As she recalled, the man that accompanied them had once introduced himself as Dennis. A year before, he aided doctor Dret and in Catan's investigation of doctor Lucas, whom they later discovered had purposefully infected the crew of the Tiberius with a virus that ultimately claimed a third of the crew and the ship itself. Despite his help, the Herculean man that attended Commander Savril's children was perhaps the one person aboard Arabella that Ryla knew the least about. Jadan approached the table, pulling the trill from her reverie. He cast his pale brown eyes upon her and cleared his throat. "Can I get you something, Doctor Dret?" She turned her smile to meet the Bajoran bartender's. "Hello, Jadan. I know you still haven't come to sickbay for your physical." "Oh, yeah. I'll take care of that soon. Don't worry, Doc." She narrowed her eyes at him playfully. See that you do. <laughs> Would you like something from the bar? Yes, thank you. Let's see. I'd like a spinach salad, please. With oil and vinegar on the side. And a tawali Paella mode. But I want the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on the top. I want it on the side. And I'd like Ico Berry instead of vanilla. If you can replicate it. If not, no ice cream. Just whipped cream. But only if it's a relative approximation to the real thing. If it's not, then, then nothing. Don't worry about it. Jadan punched her order into the pad. Not even the pie? Ryla's smile pressed dimples into her cheeks as she glanced up at him to clarify. No, but just the pie, but not heat it. Jadan blinked, and after a stretch of silence, he replied, One side is a big thing for you. I'll have that right out. As he walked away, she noticed Marin climbing into the chair next to her. Hi, she said in a delightful tone. Ryla beamed at her small guest. The first post of season 8 was written by Jen and Star Trek Fanatic 5 and it's read by Star Trek Fanatic 5 aka Kenny. Me.
1: Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn smiled as he rose from the command chair upon the bridge of the Arabella. The Betazoid Elorian was intensely proud of his valiant crew and magnificent ship. The successful end of their current mission brought with it the conclusion of the USS Arabella's maiden voyage. Both the vessel and its crew had demonstrated itself to be second to no other. Nathan's quiet yet stalwart authority inspired those who followed him. He was not a gregarious man, nor was he prideful or strident. He was a pensive gentleman with a heart that swelled to embrace those who selflessly served aboard his ship. Many of the Arabella's officers had been aboard the last vessel he commanded, the late and great Tiberius. Those who lived through the virus that infected his ship were quarantined on an old science station orbiting Vulcan. During the year that followed, the survivors fostered a bond that very few in Starfleet would ever experience. When the Arabella was commissioned and he was put in command of her, Captain Quinn sought those surviving men and women of the Tiberius for his new crew, for no other crew would do. He clasped his hands behind his back and narrowed his gray-green eyes as he scanned the viewscreen before him. The blue-green world that filled his view served as a backdrop to the two small ships that headed back to the Arabella. Their mission was complete, and the teams were heading home. As he lowered himself back into the command chair, an odd sensation enveloped his body. He closed his eyes as the room spun. Seconds later, the smell of stale air filled his nostrils. The captain opened his eyes and witnessed a green haze that hung about him within a heavy atmosphere. The air was stifling, and its humidity clung to him like a second skin. He shook his head in an attempt to clear the confusion. Nathan's eyes flitted about as a heavy dread filled his core. He knew where he was, but how? Quinn instinctively pressed his comm badge, and his voice echoed in the cavern of stolen technology. Quinta, Arabella. There was no response. He pressed it again. Captain Quinn to any Starfleet officer. Still no reply. Two Borg drones approached him. He was weaponless, but Nathan wasn't going to give up without a fight. Nathaniel Jacob Quinn, come with us, they uttered in unison. Quinn turned to run, but two more drones blocked his escape. Resistance is futile, they hummed in accordance. Yeah, we'll see about that, said Quinn with a nervous laugh. As he rushed one of the drones, knocking him aside, Nathan ran down the dimly lit plated corridor, filled with Borg, stationed in their dark alcoves. As he ran past them, he could hear the whine of servos as they detached themselves from their base to pursue him. Captain Evangel Jacob Quinn of the
0: USS Arabella. Resistance is futile.
1: He could hear their voices on the air, thousands of them all in unison. He had heard them once before. They were chaotic when they spoke to him on the surface of pterosis. They had overwhelmed his sensitive telepathic abilities. Believing that the unique geological formation of Terranosis had prevented his ability to filter the voices of the native people, Quinn returned to the ship, yet it was not the Tarasic who molested his mind with their frenzied voices. It was the Borg. Nathan quickly turned a corner, his footsteps ringing out as they struck the metal decking as he ran. The frantic officer blindly slammed into a drone, causing him to fall back. As he scrambled to his feet, he looked into the face of the Borg he had just collided with. The red beam of its ocular implant scanned his stoidly. Yet Nathan recognized the man buried beneath the mechanical components. His heart fell at the realization, and tears welled in his gray-green eyes. No, this isn't possible, he said, shaking his head in denial. As panic began to take over, he stepped toward the man he once knew. What have they done to you? Nathan reached to cut the man's face in his hands. No. No, he uttered in a doleful whisper. The Borg who had once been Nicholas Took raised a cold mechanical pincher and clamped it down hard on Quinn's shoulder. Nathan instantly felt an acute pain as an electrical current traversed the Borg's arm and entered Nathan's body, causing him to lose consciousness. The next post is a joint post by Jen and Justex, X, read by Jen.
0: The USS Arabella was thrown into chaos as apprehension struck the hearts and minds of the bridge officers. Captain Quinn was gone, and for some of the crew, it was not the first time that a captain had vanished in the middle of an important mission. Computer, where is Captain Quinn? shouted the Andorian who had rushed from his position at the science station to stand before the empty command chair. "'Captain Quinn is no longer aboard,' repeated the impassive voice of the computer. "Zrem to Commander Tucker! "'Please report to the bridge to assume command duties. "'The captain is missing!' The danger of the situation became all too apparent. The crew was not only missing their captain, but her first and second officers were still en route from the planet's surface. The Andorian swallowed the natural tendencies of his species to deal with adversity through aggression and opened a communications channel to the returning ships. As he spoke... He made note of the two distinct subspace disturbances just outside the planet's orbit. On my way, Lieutenant. Go to red alert status and inform the XO of the development, replied a slightly groggy voice of the Delta ship commander. Zrem activated the red alert and opened a communication channel to the approaching runabouts. The klaxon of the alert filled the ship and tinted the bridge in a pulsing red light. Savril felt the first wave of anxiety surge against the protective walls of her delicate composure it seemed that history was repeating itself. She could not help but recall the first mission aboard the USS Tiberius. In that moment, what she buried in her corps was the deep-seated fear that Nathan Quinn had befallen the same fate as the late Captain Bell. Nathan was the first officer aboard Tiberius while Captain Bell was in command. Yet after Bell's sudden disappearance, Quinn was thrust into the position of commanding officer. At the time, Sevril was the chief science officer, and the position of first officer fell to her, whether she wanted it or not. Savril's heart sank. Gilbert Bell was never recovered. Would Nathan Bell be lost to them as well? She suppressed a shudder. As it had with Nathan years ago, in the absence of the captain, command would fall to her. Yet Savrille refused to be next in line to inherit the Arabella. They would find the captain, and she would not rest until they did. Arrange for ship-to-ship transport, Mr. Zrem me directly to the bridge. Understood. Stand by, Commander. An eddy of shimmering particles coalesced to form the tall, slender form of a tarot-sick female standing before the viewscreen on the Arabella's bridge. She was still disguised as a native of the planet she had just returned from, and there was no time to remove the prosthetics. The Vulcan First Officer bent her golden-eyed gaze towards the human positioned at ops. Ensign, have Commander James transported directly to the bridge and the runabouts beamed to main shuttle bay. Aye, sir. Savril then pivoted to face her assistant chief science officer, who still stood near the command chair. Report, Mr. Zrem, she voiced in a crisp yet unaffected tone. Before he could speak, an alien beam scanned the vessel and was followed shortly after by a swarm of racist cybernetic voices that echoed throughout the vessel. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. The icy fingers of the frigid declaration raked over Savril's. Shields up! She snapped over the prattle, just as the second officer, still in his tyrosic guise, appeared on the bridge. "'Bring us between the runabouts and the Borg,' she ordered as she stepped towards the viewscreen.
3: "'We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own.'
0: "'Sir, we're having trouble obtaining a transporter lock on the runabouts,' reported Ensign Thorne from his position at Ops.
3: "'Your culture will adapt to
4: service us.'
0: Resistance is futile. The ship lurched as the sphere unleashed a volley of energy at the Arabella. Savril stumbled forward as the ops console exploded, killing a young human. Within moments, Chief Ronan quickly confirmed the fatality and took the fallen man's position. ''Lock phasers and return fire with attack pattern, James, Alpha Phi!'' shouted Lieutenant Commander James. He had fought the Borg dozens of times, but those were all simulations. They had no room for mistake. "'Target their propulsion systems with the phaser cannons and fire at will! "'Computer! Mute that alarm!' Commander Sevril flicked her eyes towards Ronan. "'Get them aboard, Chief. We must raise shields now!' "'Got them. They've been safely transported to main shuttle bay,' Ronan said as another volley from the sphere violently rocked the ship. "'That last attack caused heavy damage. Torpedo launchers and primary phasers are offline. Shields are up and holding at 86 percent. The Borg sphere has taken significant damage to their impulse manifolds,' shouted Lt. Otak from his position at tactical. "'Commander, we're receiving reports of Borg intruders on Deck 6, 7, 11, and 13,' reported Zrem. "'Mr. James, take a security team to combat the intruders and secure the ship. "'I, Captain,' Eric said, and made his way towards the turbo lift doors.' Even as he quietly assessed the ship's computer systems to prevent the Borg from controlling them, he could sense their dark technology pulsing from the decks below. They had to ensure that the Borg did not gain a foothold on the Arabella, where the starship would be lost. And with it, the crew. Before he entered the lift, Eric glanced at the two security officers on the bridge. Jackson, Ged, you're with me. Both men nodded brusquely and followed him into the lift. Sir, shouted Ronan to James to gain his attention and tossed a phaser to the unarmed second officer. Eric caught the weapon and entered the lift with his tactical support. Deck six! James to security. I need additional men and heavy weaponry to meet us on deck six. Attention all hands! Sevril stated with practice, Vulcan calm. We have been boarded by the Borg. All non-essential hands clear decks six, seven, eleven, and thirteen. All security-trained personnel secure these decks. The doors to the turbolift closed just as Savril ended her transmission. She turned to the flight con officer. Mr. Wynn. take us clear of the planet at maximum warp. Without primary weaponry, our options against the Borg are limited. He nodded as his fingers flew over the panel before him. A series of negative chirps and tones sounded in response to his sequence. Captain, we're having trouble generating a stable warp field due to the interference from the subspace disturbances. "'Take us away from the anomalies at full impulse, and tell Engineering that we need those weapons,' said Savril as she turned to face Otak. "'Tactical. Keep a close eye on the shields. While they were designed with the Borg in mind, this will be their first true test. We cannot afford to let them fail.'" The next post was written by Jen, and it's read by me. An eerie silence washed over the afterburner as a wave of green light sliced through the lounge and passed over each patron. Ryla's hand moved to grasp Marin's before looking up at the towering man kneeling beside her table. Dennis scooped Naval into his massive arms and stood. Though calm, his expression communicated volumes, and without uttering a word, he nodded to the bar at the rear of the lounge. We are the Borg, came a cold, mechanical echo over the ship's calm system. That was their clue to pick up the pace. Ryla and Dennis rushed to the bar as patrons screamed in panic and darted for the exit. Dennis pushed through the crowd, making a path for the diminutive doctor and the children he was programmed to protect. With Savril's twins in tow, they dashed towards Jadan, who had produced a sidearm from under the bar. The Bajoran waved them past and took a position behind the gloss black slab that he worked so hard to polish the night before. "'You have one of those for me?' inquired Dennis in a booming baritone. The bartender shook his head. "'Sorry, this is all I have.' The sound of drones materializing in the lounge was barely audible over the cries of personnel. The children began to whimper in confusion and fear. Shh, it's okay. Rayla tried to reassure them, but the words sounded hollow in her ears. It was never okay when the Borg was concerned. The ship shuddered violently, knocking tableware and customers to the floor. Over the ship's intercom, the commander's impassive voice did little else but confirm that the beings wielding various mechanical appendages were, in fact, Borg drones. Recognizing their mother's voice, the children called out to her, "'Mommy! Mommy!' Their whimpers soon transitioned to sobs, and then wails, as Jadan began firing at the Borg. The deck shook again as the sphere fired upon the Arabella. Bottles of synthahol fell from the shelves and smashed to the floor around the trill and the little ones she defended. As bits of glass pelted them, the half-Vulcan children closed their eyes and pulled themselves closer to the doctor. Dennis swung his massive fists against an advancing Borg. The trill flinched as the giant man slammed the drone's head into the hard surface of the bar and allowed it to drop to the floor beside her. Wide-eyed, the pale intruder trembled violently as servos whined and arcs of energy traversed its body. Plumes of smoke rose from the ruined Borg implants, causing Ryla's eyes to water and her throat to burn. As the drone's movements became stagnant, two more pushed towards them. An acrid electrical tang blended with a heady disinfectant, indicating the presence of numerous drones in the lounge. Their nanites flooded the bodies of fellow crewmates, plucking them from the world of autonomy and dragging them into the realm of cybernetic dependency. Jadan readjusted the settings of his firearm as Dennis blocked the tremendous blow of a mechanical arm. The hologram then directed a palm-heel strike at the invader's face, shoving the ocular implant deep into its head. The drone's mouth gaped reflexively before dropping to one knee and falling across its dead compatriot with a fierce tremor. The lighting in the lounge flickered off as power was diverted to the shields. The only illumination came from the soft, blue glow of the planet they orbited. That light was merely temporary, for the diffuse radiance was dimmed again as the Arabella moved away from Taras. If one could spare a moment to admire the scene through the viewports, that individual might marvel at the ribbons of light that stretched beyond the ship, the beautiful azure globe that shrank in the distance, and the ominous Borg sphere riding their wake in pursuit. The welcome sound of phaser fire folded itself into the audible chaos of the afterburner. A security team had begun to swarm the entrance of the lounge. After snapping the neck of yet another Borg, Dennis turned to Ryla. "'Move the children to the exit!' "'I'll cover you!' shouted Jadan. "'We're sending the doctor and two children your way!' bellowed Dennis to the security force. "'Understood!' replied the team leader. Holding tightly to the children's hands, the trill began to cautiously pick her way toward the defenders. A Borg that Dennis struggled with injected a tubule into his neck and nanites began to short out the orb that served as a permanent hollow emitter Until that moment, only a handful of individuals knew that Dennis was a program, and Ryla was not among them. When the boy realized they were leaving the brawny sentinel, Naval pulled away from the doctor to aid his friend. No! Come back! The boy came to Dennis's side and angrily stomped the drone's boot. The hologram's distorted voice echoed the doctor's plea for the boy to return. Then he abruptly flickered and blinked out of existence. Jadan roared and fired at the drone as it redirected his attack at the small boy. The green glow of an energy field enveloped the zombie. Its shielding had adapted to the Bajoran weapon. Ryla gasped in realization, then pushed the girl behind her and seized the Borg's arm in a fruitless attempt to drag it away from the boy. The drone turned an arctic expression towards the petite doctor as its tubule stabbed into the boy and injected its poison into the squirming toddler. The trill screamed in unison with Naval and Marin before the drone easily pitched her aside. Ryla struck the wall behind them and slid to the floor. Gasping for air, she slowly rolled to her side as Jadan lunged for the toddler. The dazed trill glanced back to see Marin hiding in the shadows. Intent on aiding the Bajoran bartender, the doctor scrambled to her unsteady feet. She swallowed hard and stumbled forward. If she could reclaim the child, they might be able to reverse the effect before it was too late. She glanced once more at the small, dark outline of Marin, and charged forward to rescue her brother. Silhouettes danced about the room, making it difficult for security officers to verify their targets. As yellow beams crisscrossed the lounge, Ensign Bauer leveled his Type Three phaser rifle at the Borg that, an instant before, had tossed a woman like a ragdoll. He could still see the outline of the drone from his position, and waited for another beam to illuminate the room before taking his shot. He drew a breath in preparation. Sweat rolled into his eyes and his hands trembled slightly. This was Talon Bower's first encounter with the Borg, and his nerves were raw with anticipation. The moment came and the room brightened. He simultaneously squeezed a pulse from his rifle. During the nanosecond of discharge, he saw a woman fall. A heartbeat later, a harsh green radiance told the security officer that the boar he fired at had transported off the ship. Ryla's pale brown eyes fluttered rapidly as she struggled to remain conscious. Their blurry focus was set upon the broken glass that blanketed the floor around her. The shards reflected the intermittent flash of phaser fire, and sparkled like the gemstones she saw during her last sojourn to Actum Tunichil Mukna cave in Belize. The beautiful stones crunched underfoot as a pair of boots entered her view. Muffled voices spoke over her, and she felt two strong hands turn her over and lift her up. The world seemed to decelerate as people moved about her in slow motion. She'd always preferred a leisurely pace, but her medical mind told her the tempo was manufactured by a loss of blood. The pain from the phaser blast was concentrated at her midsection. She moved her hand to her waist and slender fingers met a large void. Rila's sluggish mind lethargically thought of the symbiote. As she was lowered to the floor in the passageway, the muted echo of a child's sobs grew louder and then tapered into silence as they moved past her. The toddler was safe, but there was only one cry. Her mind shouted for Nabal, but her lips failed to form the words. She coughed instead and tasted the salty flavor of iron. Blurred faces slowly came into view over her. She recognized Judan. It had been his hands that carried her from the lounge. Susan Kane spoke to the trill in a soothing tone, and the hiss of a hypospray brought numbness to Ryla's body. Three cc's of merphodon stat,' she senselessly muttered before choking out another cough. The doctor felt cold, and her teeth began to chatter, but she no longer felt the searing pain. Ryla's eyes rolled upward to watch the shadows that played over the surface of the ceiling. At first, she thought the shadows belonged to her rescuers, but after a while, she realized that they moved independently of their source. As they came closer, she saw that they had faces of their own, belonging to people Ryla lost long ago. They slowly spilled down from above to gently envelop her. Ryla's glassy-eyed stare shifted back to Jadam and Nurse Kane, who did not seem to notice the beings who came to take her home. "'Come with us,' beckoned her grandmother's voice. A smile pushed dimples into her cheeks for the last time. Then Ryla Drette drew a ragged breath and slowly exhaled, leaving her family on the Arabella to join her ancestors in the
1: afterlife. This post is done by Hawkeye Meds, and it's also read by Hawkeye Meds.
5: The alarm echoed through Joseph's ears, and he sat bolt upright in bed. What the devil is going on? He looked round to see a plate of cold fish and chips sitting on the table. Computer, this is Chief of Security. Report. The USS Avabella is on red alert, in action against the Borg. De Callen dropped from his bed and felt a sting of pain in his stomach. He looked down and grabbed a handful of chips and ate them quickly. Mmm, tasty. Computer, replicate me a uniform for my measurements. Oh, hold on, take an inch off the waist, will you? A uniform appeared in the replicator and De Callen dropped his medical gown. At that moment, Nurse Kane rushed in with three other officers carrying Viola's body. Seeing Decalan's empty bed, she laid the body down onto it and activated the medical display. Turning round, she saw the naked chief of security. Joseph looked at her, and then down at his naked form. Uh, give us a hand putting this on, will you? She ran over to him, and helped him pull the uniform down over his body. He locked her belt on, and pressed her thumb against a hidden panel. The drawer opened, and Decallan took out three phasers and a phaser rifle. He handed one of the phasers, and looked at Viola. If they come in here, use this and fluctuate the settings. Stay safe. Josie turned to walk off, but Susan pulled him back. She took a napkin off the table and wiped a bit of chip fat from his mouth. Can't have you going out messy now, can I? She looked sad, but winked at him and watched her old patient run out of by before him turning back and attending to the body of Viola. DeCullen ran down the corridor and tapped on his combatch. DeCalan to all security personnel, take your positions. Security Tactic Echo 4. As he got to a turbo lift, the doors opened and he found several security men. Sir, Lieutenant Commander James has ordered us to seek any Borg intruders. DeCallan looked at them and smiled. Then carry on, Ensign. Report to me on your findings. Racing into the turbo lift, DeCallan put his hands on his knees to catch his breath. The pain in his stomach ached again. He looked up and drew a big breath. Bridge.
0: The next post is written by Wraith 1701 and read by Wraith 1701.
2: Catan smiled to himself as the runabout Shadowfax cleared the atmosphere of the planet Teros, the deck vibrating gently as the ship escaped into the vacuum of space. He glanced at the away team members seated with him. All had done an outstanding job resolving the situation on the developing world below. His cheeks flushed and his smile broadened as he looked at the trinket resting in his hand, a small, jade-colored figurine of the Tarasic Deity of Healing, rumored by the natives of the planet to enhance the skills of medical practitioners. I hope Rala likes this, he thought to himself. Never one for collecting trinkets, Catan had purchased the statuette from a native vendor with the hopes that it would please the Arabella's vibrant, troll doctor. Catan wasn't sure what his feelings were for the perky woman, but she had been on his mind a lot lately. Something about her stirred feelings in him that he had thought long dead. Tucking the idol into a tunic pocket, Catan swore a silent oath to himself. He would simply let the doctor know of his feelings for her, of his interest in taking their old friendship to a more intimate level. If she reciprocated his interest, great. If not, well, at least he could rest easy in the knowledge that he had tried. Catan's reverie was interrupted by a sudden, jarring shift in the runabout's trajectory, accompanied by the simultaneous wailing of the red alert klaxon. "'What the hell?' he thought. Looking up, he was greeted by the sight of Commander Several being engulfed by the familiar glow of a transporter beam. Moments later, the beam dispersed, taking the commander with it. "'Status report!' he barked. "'We have a problem, sir,' the shuttle pilot responded. "'The Arabella is currently under attack by a Borg sphere.' The pilot glanced at her comm display. "'Commander Several has been beamed aboard to lead the starship's defense.' As the crew members around him gasped in terror, Catan's fist tightened on the seat's armrest. Under the pilot's expert guidance, the runabout executed a course change so drastic that it stressed the ship's inertial dampening system, causing the passengers to sway in their seats. Catan risked a glance out the forward viewport, and his blood froze. Bearing down on the runabout was the cold, soulless form of a Borg spear. Seconds later, the sleek, gray form of the Arabella filled the screen, sweeping gracefully between the runabout and the oncoming sphere. Like a mother hawk protecting her nest, the Arabella faced down the sphere. Catan felt a moment of vicarious joy as the Arabella's forward phasers lanced out, twin beams of coherent energy raking across the hull of the Borg sphere like the claws of an enraged sailot, leaving sparks and the outgassing of atmosphere in their wake. Catan's joy was short-lived, however. Seconds after the angry gashes were carved into the Borg ship, Katan was horrified to see the sphere's hull repairing itself. Like a bit of time lapse photography, the damaged areas sealed and soon looked as good as new. Suddenly, Katan felt the familiar tingle of a transporter beam. His view of his surroundings faded to white and was abruptly replaced by a view of the interior of the Arabella's main shuttle bay. He, the away team, and the entire runabout had been transported into the relative safety of the ship. Springing from his chair, Katan bolted from the runabout and ran towards the turbo lift. Bridge, he commanded, as the door slid closed.
1: Next up is Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds.
5: DeConan looked up at the lights flickering past, feeling more at ease. He straightened up and watched as the doors of the turbo lift opened. He walked out onto the bridge and quickly looked to his left as the second turbo lift opened and Katan walked out. The two men looked at each other and nodded, and stood next to each other to await their orders.
0: This post was written by King Linkser, and it's read by King Linkser.
5: The
4: bridge was a blur in motion as Chief Rava Ronan knelt down to check Ensign Thorn's pulse. The ops officer was dead. Ronan gently moved his body aside and took his place at the smoking yet still functioning station. As Lieutenant James moved past him on the way to the turbo lift, Rava noticed the officer was unarmed. Luckily, Rava had just come from a training sim on the holodeck and still carried a sidearm. Sir, he shouted and tossed the phaser to the second officer, who turned an alien face toward him and caught the weapon. Lieutenant Commander James's terroristic disguise was off putting. I guess it would be too much to hope that his strange features would frighten the Borg off the ship, he thought. Ronan turned back to his console, then glanced at the view screen. The weapons were down, and the Arabella was retreating. How will we defeat
1: the
6: Borg now?
1: Our next post is by Just X, read by Rico.
6: There was little time for thought as the turbo lift descended. Quinn was missing the Borg were both on board and attacking them externally. Now he and the two security officers with him needed to hold the line and prevent any further loss of life. Eric to Aurora, the commander said as he tapped his comm badge. Activate all defense measures and notify me of any more incursions in the shuttle base. Prepare to transport onboard pulse phaser pistols to my location at my command. Orders confirmed, replied the feminine voice of the runabout. If need be, he would destroy the shuttle before allowing the Borg to assimilate its technologies. When the Turbolift stopped at their select deck, Eric readied his weapon, then looked to the security officers with him. Pulse phaser sidearms had been designed to pierce the shields of a drone, but as they were still untested in the field, they could mean the difference between life and death if they worked. Eric's eyes swept the corridor for signs of the Borg, but he found nothing but empty hallways. Onboard sensors confirmed that their enemies were still several meters north of them. Move with purpose, gentlemen. Rotate your phaser frequencies and let's get the Borg off our ship. Aye, sir, the men shouted with a confidence drilled into them by their very capable commanders. Eric had no worries that they had been trained well, but he suspected that they would never face faced the Borg before. This would be a test for them as much as it would be for his theories for combating the enemy that slaughtered his mother's people.
0: The next post was written by Brian C.D. and read by Billy Bob.
3: Kararth was surprised that he couldn't recall the last ten minutes of his life. They had been aboard the runabout when the alarm was sounded. The Borg. Before anyone could react, the shimmering effects of a cargo transporter beam had engulfed the small vessel and materialized in the hangar deck. At least that much he could recall. Then, the bloodlust overcame him. He was ten standard years old living aboard a very old Katinga-class cruiser and captained by his father, the son of the legendary Commander Kang, his grandfather. Although uncommon among Klingon-crewed ships, this one had a few families aboard, a not-so-subtle indication of the lack of respect his father had had among the Klingon council. The son of a legend. A great disappointment. The sins of this father, of simply not being Kang, were visited upon the son. The other children mocked Karath's slight stature and light-colored hair. The bloodlust had overcome him once then, and another young Klingon had nearly died by his young hand. Never again, he had promised himself. Until now. The Borg. There would be, could not be, any quarter to give, for there would be none reciprocated. His batleth was clenched in his sweating hands. How many times had he swung it? How many times had it found its mark? Cutting through the organic and cybernetic opposition which stood before him, it wasn't an energy weapon. They couldn't adapt, and he allowed the bloodlust to flow. Ten minutes of death had passed, and now he found himself on Deck 11, outside the doors to Main Engineering. They would be waiting for him here, and he could not allow the Borg to control the heart of the ship. He
1: steadied himself. The next post is by Iceman, read by Billy Bob.
3: Dr. Peterson materialized in the center of sickbay, which was filled with acrid smoke from the short-circuiting of medical equipment caused by the last attack on the ship. His staff was busy running back and forth across sickbay, assessing the wounded as they began to flood in. His heart sank as he saw the stretcher carrying the body of Ryla Dret. He hesitated only for a second before he grabbed a tricorder and began treating the wounded. He glanced across the smoke-filled room to see his wife, Mayela, working diligently to save a wounded crewman. Several crew members had phaser burns from being hit by Borg weapons, and others had showed up with abrasions and broken bones from being tossed around like rag dolls. Casey thought to himself, this is going to be another long day, as he unconsciously clutched at the phaser at his side. The one thing that Casey knew about the Borg was that their attacks were very efficient and methodical, and a lot of people would die today unless they could somehow
0: repel the attack. This post was written by Moyer777 and read by Moyer777.
7: Counselor Margon made his way through the corridors. As smoke and screams filled the air, panic ensued. His head was swimming with fear and concern. When the word Borg was uttered, it changed everything, even the most prepared officer. As the red alert klaxon rhythmically pulsed through the chip, the frantic motions of all involved seemed chaotic at best. Margon made his way to his quarters, only to find two Borg drones scanning the door as he rounded the corner. They had detected his hollow grid and seemed to be studying the technology. Surely they have hollow technology, he thought. Wait, this is newer stuff than they've probably seen. Mr. Mouse, he whispered. Even though he was not a fan of weapons, he pulled a hand phaser from his pack, adjusted the settings, and charged the door. With one shot, he took out the first drone as it fell and lay kicking on the floor. The second Borg turned and began to come at the counselor. No, you don't, Margon shouted as he fired again. But this time, the phaser had no effect. The multiphasic shielding had adapted to the rotating frequency. Margon threw the phaser at his attacker, and it stopped the Borg for a moment as it bounded off the laser eyepiece of the intruder. The door opened and the counselor rushed through it, pushing the Borg to the ground. They both hit the ground hard and parts of the drone went flying off. The counselor felt pain on his legs and chest as the Borg armor was pointed and hard. He scrambled up and sat on the attacker's chest. For a moment, the counselor hesitated. Then, as if in a playground fight, he began to go crazy on the drone. He pulled wires and jabbed at openings in the armor and began to hit the head of the Borg against the floor. By this time they had slid into his quarters and the doors had shut. It actually appeared that the counselor was having success in disabling his attacker when he felt a burning sensation at the base of his neck. Ah, 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 ah! The counselor yelled in pain. The two probes had extended from the drone's arm and were piercing his neck. He felt a wave of nausea come over him. No, this can't happen, he muttered. He felt his hands around the drone's neck squeezing. The drone lost consciousness as the Counselor became dizzy. His hands let free of the Borg, and he fell off the drone's chest to the side, and then he quivered. He could feel the nanoprobes coursing through his blood. His mind became jumbled with panic and fear, yet in a strange way there was a logic to it all. It was becoming ordered. His eyelids became heavy, and he couldn't move his limbs. He could see the dead drone next to him, He could still hear the sounds of the ship being assimilated, but he couldn't do a thing about it. He was in his quarters, removed from the direct battle. He was scared. He could hear the meowing of Mr. Mouse, his cat, by his ear. The animal knew something was wrong, but in all its efforts, couldn't rouse the counselor. He hopped over the bullion and stared into the eyes, nudging at his face. A tear rolled from Margon's eye
1: as everything faded black. Next up, Wraith1701 wrote this post. He also read it.
2: Back on the bridge, Gaton braced himself against the bulkhead as the deck shook under his feet. The forward viewscreen strobed as the Borg continued their relentless onslaught, each shot straining the Arabella shields to the breaking point. Gatan glanced dead aside to the, Lieutenant Callan, then did a double take. Unlike the remainder of the away team members, his friend's surgical alterations had been reversed. He seemed to be back to his old self. "'How did you get your Taros disguise removed so quickly?' Katan asked. DeColin quirked a smile. "'I had bit of an adventure down on Taros, and had to return to the ship Alley. DeColin gave Katan a friendly slap on the back. "'It's a long story, my friend. Perhaps I can tell you about it later, over a couple of pints.' Katan nodded and replied, "'Of course.' We'd probably better deal with our little infestation problem first. Katan's gaze swept the bridge stations, each was currently occupied by frantically working crew members. He started towards tactical and stopped himself. He was pleasantly surprised to see the station manned by his protégé lieutenant, Otak. Despite the crisis the ship faced, Katan managed a brief smile. He'd always considered Otak to be something of a genius when it came to tactical systems, and lately, the junior officer had started to overcome his insecurities, becoming more and more comfortable assuming positions of leadership. Katan turned to address Commander Several. The tactical station seems to be in good hands. If it's all right with you, I think my talents would be best used dealing with our intruders. By all means, carry on, the exO replied. Katan turned to the Kalan. Come on, let's uh, see if we can clear out some of the vermin. As the pair jogged towards the turbo lift, Katon cracked an evil grin. Whoever takes out the fewest Borg buys the first round of drinks.
0: This post was written by Shepard and read by King Linkser.
4: The sound of alarms rang in Reese's ears. He looked down the hall for Fishul, who was supposed to meet him there at the end of his shift in the lab. Up the hallway, down the hallway, no sign of him anywhere. What's going on? Reese thought as the red light flashed in his eyes, then the ship-wide calm began to blare. The Borg, he thought. He had never seen the Borg, and began to get curious what was going on. He walked to the nearest screen to try to get a visual on the current situation. Computer. Before he could get another word in, the systems came to a sudden halt and the light died. Computer? His nervous voice echoed in the dark hall. The hall shook around him. He caught his balance and stood there in the dark, trying to find some sort of light. He heard the footsteps from down the hall coming closer to him. "'Visual? That you?' He looked into the dark of the noise, and he knew it wasn't his furry friend. A bright red laser pierced the darkness. He looked at the light, not sure exactly who or what it was. The Borg? Is it the Borg? He thought. Then the voice he had actually never heard, but in recordings and nightmares. You will be assimilated. There was no real thought in his next move. He just ran. Feeling his way down the dark corridors, he had no idea where he was going. He just knew he had to get away, but he didn't give far rounding the corner to the bright emergency light and the red laser of another drone. There, for the first time, did Reese see a real Borg. He tried to turn and run the other way. He had no means to fight, and he didn't want to. He failed to get away, however. His sudden turn had caused him a lack of balance, and he crashed onto the floor. His eyes turned to see two wire-like needles emerge from the Borg's wrist. Reese felt them dig into his neck. It was one of the most painful things he had ever felt. So this is how it ends. He thought. The wires weren't in his neck. A second before his fussy eyes saw a large monster of a man tackling the Borg. His focus was beginning to return. But he thought he was still in a state of confusion as he saw the Sasquatch smash the Borg to pieces. He wasn't sure what to make of it until it was over, and the hairy hand reaching down to him. Reese? Fish Reese wasn't sure what was more surprising, his friend the Sasquatch or the board now Scrap metal. What was that? He was shocked looking around them. Part of my family heritage, we like to wrestle each other a bit. It can get a bit rough sometimes. A bit rough? Remind me never to get you angry. Reese looked official, then down at the bar remains. I'm just glad you're on my side. I don't know what I'd do if you had showed when you did. Well, I couldn't let you die. Who would I talk to?
1: The next post is written by Jen, and read by Jen.
0: Commander Savril steadied herself as the ship was rocked from yet another volley. The planet Terra shrank on the viewscreen as they moved away at impulse speed. Yet the Sphere still pursued them, and Borg drones transported aboard before shields could be raised. The Arabella's weapons were offline, shields' strength was steadily decreasing, and warp speed was not available. If the Vulcan considered superstition to be anything other than a set of irrational beliefs, Sevril would have believed the crew to be cursed with bad luck. Locks of tousled blue, terracic hair fell from the bronzed fastener she wore at the nape of her neck. The Vulcan pushed a loose strand behind an elongated prosthetic ear and pointed a blue finger at the console before her. An asteroid belt is located there. The irons, stony irons, and chordates that make up the rubble are magnetized. She turned amber eyes to meet Zram's concerned expression. How long will the sphere's sensors be affected by the magnetic field before they're able to compensate for the disruption? She glanced up at the shock of white hair and noticed the nervous position of his antennae. An approximation will suffice, Zrem said the Vulcan in a supportive tone. She had known the Andorian for years. They met at a logic conference on her homeworld, and it was Ram's fascination with Sirachian philosophy that became the catalyst of their unique friendship. When the need for an assistant chief science officer arose, the Andorian's inquisitive nature and rational mind were the traits Savril considered first before she offered the position to him. It was in times like these that she was most appreciative that he accepted her offer. His antennae pivoted forward in thought, and after a moment, replied in a noncommittal committal tenor, Fifty moments at most. Would that be long enough to make the necessary repairs, and devise a plan of attack? They had no other option. Helm, set course for the asteroid belt. Take us in carefully. We cannot afford to lose any more shielding. The new image on the viewscreen gradually grew in size as they arrived at their destination. The churning grinder of maverick rock enveloped them as they slipped inside the field. Colossal asteroids rotated slowly about them while smaller bits of rock, filling the spaces in between, slammed into one another, creating an infinite number of micro-fragments. The fragments grazed the vessel's shields, casting a blue glow upon the asteroids surrounding them as the Arabella swam into the Sea of Stone. Use the tractor beam to redirect larger asteroids toward the sphere. Sevril was aware that the Borg would simply divert the course of the rubble. But if the rock collided with others, the sphere could be crushed between ricocheting projectile mountains. The Borg would have to be diligent in their response, and it was her hope that their focus would turn from offense to defense. They were taking a huge gamble that the Borg would slip up, but the weapon systems were down. It was the only option they had to defend themselves. If they were lucky, it would buy them the time necessary to repair the damaged Arabella. The next post was written by Star Trek Fanatic 5, and read by Star Trek Fanatic
1: 5. Ensign Took was walking through engineering preparing his report for the returning Karath, when the Klaxons began to wail. All the walls started to flash red. Crew members went into action, securing their stations. The calm voice of Commander Savril could be heard.
0: Attention all hands! We have been boarded by the Borg. All non-essential hands cleared deck 6. Seven, Eleven, and Thirteen. All security-trained personnel, secure these decks.
1: You could see the panic start to take hold. The ship was rocked back and forth as the Borg fired upon the Arabella. Nick knew what he must do. He started spouting off commands. Secure the warp core. We need weapons back up. Divert all unnecessary power to the shields. Secure all Jeffrey tubes. A loud banging could be heard coming from the main engineering door. Arm yourself. Nick said as the doors to engineering were torn open and several board drones entered. The next post is written by JustX and read by Rico.
6: Arya James stood alone in the Arabella looking into the recently opened weapons locker. On her hip she added a pulse phaser pistol to the daggers that already rested there. They were designed to not only have an automatic random modulation of the phaser frequencies but they were created with the idea of defeating personal shields. On her other hip, she carried a medical tricorder that was modified to work in concert with her mental abilities. "'Personal log,' she said aloud. "'I have gathered the tools I need "'and activated the Counter-Strike programming of my nanobots. "'Rory has Elizabeth safely protected in my father's quarters, "'but I have suggested that they move to the Aurora as soon as possible. "'Shortly, I will begin to move towards the last known locations of the Twins.' I fear for them as the Aurora has lost contact with the holosphere being used by their protector. I have enabled the Counter-Strike programming of my nanobots. I am sure that they will serve to combat the Borg on a nanoscale level, but the Borg will not keep me from them. Hopefully I can bring them back here safely. End log.
0: This post was written by Hawkeye Meds, Brian CD, and Rate 1701, and read by Rate 1701.
2: The turbo lift door swished open on deck eleven, and Catan and DeCalm ran through towards engineering. Catan couldn't help but note that the normally soothing corridors of the Arabella had taken on a decidedly nightmarish flavor. The dim lighting, accompanied by the constant strobing of the red alert, made him feel as though he were stepping into Grethor, the Klingon hell. This impression was strengthened by the occasional cries of terror and shrieks of pain echoing in the distance. It was evident that the Borg were wrecking havoc throughout the ship, assaulting both the Arabella and her crew. Katan bit back the urge to rush to his crewmate's aid. The most pressing need right now was to secure engineering. If the heart of the ship were to fall, all hands aboard would be doomed. As Katan and D'Kalan approached the main doors to engineering, they spied Lieutenant Karath. The Klingon chief engineer still sported his terroristic disguise. Like a mighty ebon tower of barely contained wrath. He stood before the doors and beckoned the pair forward. His massive bat left dripped with gore, and a coiled piece of borg hung from one of the handles. Karath turned towards the two officers, and a broad warrior smile engulfed his face. Katan slapped his hand on his fellow Klingon's shoulder and eyed the ichor-covered blade. "'It looks like you've been busy.' The Collins' eyebrows raised. The chief engineer's already fearsome visage was intensified by surgical alterations. His piercing, yellow eyes shone from his midnight black face with the intensity of a laser. De'Kalin glanced from Karath to Katan. "'You Klingons! Should be in a Shakespeare play!' He glanced at the blade in Karath's hand. "'We'll need to have similar weapons. The botleth is ideal against the Borg.' Karath nodded in agreement. We must secure main engineering, or the Borg will be able to control all ship systems. We might need some help, Catan added. He looked at the De Dekhalin, who tapped his comm badge. Dekhalin to Dunn. We need outside engineering. Dunn's voice echoed through. On my way, sir. Good to see that you're back on your feet. Katan threw to Dekhalin a look of inquiry. The security chief simply winked at his look of confusion. We need blighted weapons, Dunn. Bring the weapons from the away mission. Anything shop will do." Dunn responded in the affirmative, and the communication went dead. Karath kicked the door with his boot in frustration, then pointed at a series of scratches and scorch marks marring the edges. "'It looks like the Borg have already made it here. I believe they may have found their way in, then sealed the door behind them to keep us out.' As if to confirm his words, a loud crash. "'and the muffled yell of Lieutenant Took rang out from behind the doors. "'Karath turned to his comrades, his expression grim. "'We need to get in there now!' "'All three men looked at each other and nodded. "'After pausing to brace himself, Gatan whirled and lashed out with his left foot, "'his boot shattering the access panel beside the doorway. "'Reaching into the smoking, sparking mess of exposed wires and OD- ODN conduits, he "'yanked free two cables.' as he pressed the exposed ends together the corridor was briefly lit by a flash of electricity there was a sizzling snap and he was thrown violently into the opposite wall of the hallway the twin doors slowly parted 4 inches then ground to a halt katan shook his head and shakily got up off of the floor wisps of smoke rising from his hair he gave the air a sniff either of you smell something burning Suddenly, to the right of DeColin, the hum and glow of a transporter beam sprang to life. The beam faded, revealing the lanky form of Dunn. He held out a staff with an axe-style head to Catan, and Catan took it, giving it an experimental swing. It will have to do. DeColin looked at Dunn for his weapon, and Dunn held out a small club. It, too, was made of wood and had metal spikes. Is this it? DeColin asked. Hand a hand then for me, boys. Let's go. The four men grasped the edges of the partially opened doors and heaved. Within moments, the doors were forced back into their wall recesses, revealing the darkened engine room. Gray smog billowed out as two Borg turned to guard them, the red beams of their ocular implants shining through the haze. The four officers came together, looked at each other, then shouted as they ran in.
1: Our next post is by Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds.
5: Kalan ran to the right and ducked under the red implant light, and swung his club into the metal shaft of one of the Borg's legs. Stumbling, the beam came down and shone into Kalan's eye, temporarily blinding him. The Borg's wire shot out of its hand towards DeKalan's neck, but just as contact was made, the wired, infused hand shattered. Dunn had timed it perfectly, and as the Borg attempted to steady itself, the bat left of Collar. Glided smoothly through its skull. carlin jumped up and quickly looked at Dunn. I owe you that, sir. carlin shouted, I've done fair play, Ensign, now let's get going. The two men turned to see three more drones walking towards them. carlin checked to his left and saw Katan expertly glide his axe through a Borg spine, and sparks and pieces of metal covered him, and he looked like a welder from the shipyard days. Glancing to his right, he saw Took lying on the floor. Joseph shouted at Catan and Karath and pointed at the unconscious Engineer. The roar of the two Klingons filled Engineering and De'Kalan knew that this was going to be a dangerous fight. He felt his body fill with adrenaline and ran with done!" weapons raised, at the oncoming Borg.
0: This post was written by Brian C D and read by Star Trek Fanatic 5.
1: Karath paused above the prone figure of Lieutenant Took. He kneeled down and turned Took's head to the side. His neck had no markings on it to indicate an assimilation infection. Nick's eyes opened slightly. Sir, Took rasped, we held the line as best we... and unconsciousness claimed them again. Brave warrior, Karoth said with a smile. He stood up and could see Khatan and the Colin engaging with the last two drones, he rushed forward, dropping one of the attackers at the knee and delivering an overhanded blow to its chest. The coppery smell of spilled blood mixed with that of burnt circuitry, Collins' club stunned another attacker and Catan promptly decapitated the drone. Engineering was secure. Karath looked around at the carnage. He saw some of his own staff among the bodies. Some were dead. Some were worse even than that. The three men knew what had to be done. Our next post was written by Star Trek Fanatic 5 and also read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. (laughs) Quinn lay on the cold metal table. He was conscious and aware, but kept his eyes closed to listen to his surroundings. He could hear movement about him, but didn't dare open his eyes. At the moment, nothing was happening to him, and the more information he could gather, the better he would be. Nathan was still unclear on how this all happened. How could Nick be assimilated so quickly, and he be transported to a Borg cube without any warning? Quinn reached out with his mind and connected with the Borg collective, millions of voices talking at once. It was deafening. He slowly started to filter out the noise until he heard one voice that was louder than the rest. The smell voice was issuing commands. Nathan couldn't be sure, but it sounded as if they were in the middle of a battle. They had taken heavy damage to their aft section. Quinn could feel the Borg's unified consciousness, focusing on the repairs. It was incredible. He probed a bit further into the mind of this Borg that was giving orders until something that he wasn't expecting happened. The male voice spoke to him, not in his mind, but verbally. Quinn slowly opened his eyes to see that he was in the middle of an assimilation chamber. As he looked around, for the voice it spoke again. "'Glad to see that you were awake, Captain.' Quinn sat up and noticed that he wasn't wearing any clothing. "'Who are you?' he said, looking around. "'I am the Borg.' Quinn shook his head. "'The Borg are many. You are one.' The cool voice echoed in the assimilation chamber. I am many. I am one. I am all. Quinn sat there confused as he knew that the Borg had a queen that commanded all Borgs. But this was a male voice. Could it be a Borg king? Show yourself, Quinn demanded.
0: The following was written by Iceman and read by Billy Bob.
3: Casey worked feverishly to stay on top of the casualties and wounded. As fast as he patched one person up, another took their place. He began to wonder if he'd be able to stay on top of the situation. Kuro lined up out the door to sickbay, and kept gobbling up what limited space was left. Every member of his staff was occupied trying desperately to stay on top of the growing number of wounded. Dr. Peterson stopped momentarily. Computer, activate the EMH program. The computer responded in its monotone voice, The EMH program is currently offline. Dr. Peterson's frustration was evident on his face, as was the sweat that was accumulating on his forehead. Dr. Peterson continued his work assessing the injuries as they came in, categorizing those that were urgent over minor ones that could wait. Peterson wondered how many of the crew would be left standing after the Borg were finished with them, and wondered how
1: many of them would be repeat customers. Our next post is a joint post by Rate 1701, Brian C.D., and Hawkeye Meds. And it will be read by Hawkeye Meds.
5: K'Waaf looked over at Catan. The two command officers exchanged a look which spoke to volumes. Lieutenant Tuck was not seriously harmed, and he now struggled to stand. There were three other members of K'raaf's staff who were not as fortunate. The Borg nanonite infection, clearly visible on their skin. The colonel saw the two officers looking towards each other, and his blood ran cold. Now we don't know if they still can't be saved, he reasoned. True, Katarn said. Computer, look onto crewmen. He paused and looked to K'raaf. Fakes, Smith and Meriwether. Graff supplied. All three were honourable, hard-working officers. They deserved better than this. Luck unto officers Officer Frakes, Smith and Merryweather." Gatan continued, beam them directly to sickbay. Unable to comply, came the disembodied response. All non-essential systems' power has been routed to main shields. Transporters are currently offline. Well, we can't just carry them like this, said Katan. If they succumb to the nanites en route, they could infect us all. Karafe took a deep breath and was about to agree when a hand shot out and grabbed the blade while another hand went for his leg. Catching the Klingon by surprise, Garaf stumbled back, just as the phaser blast shot past, killing the infected crewman instantly. The Cannon and Dunn spun round to see Tuk holding the weapon. Gatan lifted Tuck's free hand over his shoulder and lifted him up. Garaf looked up from his dead crewmate and shouted at the team, Do what you have to do. Secure them if need be. Kill them if they are too far gone. We cannot afford to waste any more time. There was a sudden screech of phaser fire. The two stricken crewmen were briefly engulfed in a red-orange glow, and then slumped to the deck unconscious. Catan, Karath, and DeCalan all turned to see Ensign Dunn, calmly holstering his sidearm. That should keep them quiet for a while, Dunn said with a grin. Excellent thinking, Dun. the exclaimed. We'll make a lieutenant out of you yet. With Catan holding Tuck, Kalan and Dunn carrying the two stricken crewmen, they followed Caraf towards the turbo lift and headed towards Sickbay.
0: The next post was written by Jen and read by Jen. A subroutine within a system. This is what he'd been reduced to. After a year of enjoying the benefits of a permanent emitter orb, he was once again a collection of algorithms confined to a computer. It was difficult to adjust to the disembodied sensation after occupying a living, breathing form for so long. An instant before he vanished from the lounge, in a heartbeat before Ryla Drett wore her fatal wound, the hologram known as Dennis flowed into the ship's mainframe. Ordinarily, this action would be impossible, due to the safeguards in place to prevent such intrusions, but the Borg pierced the dedicated appliance, which typically denied access to unauthorized individuals and permitted his admittance without protest. He could sense Borg coatings spilling around him. This was looking more and more dire, he thought, as a series of anomalous functions within his program produced a feeling of anxiety. If he had them, he would have clenched his fists. Though disoriented from the transfer, Dennis instantly began monitoring the data that the sensors in the lounge gathered. The moment the events were recorded, they notified him that a trill had been injured and that one vulcanoid child was transported off the Arabella. He was relieved to find that Marin was safe, for now. He would continue to monitor her status. Yet despite his incorporeal state, he felt anguish for the boy, and then sorrow as the detection devices indicated that the Trill biosigns were no longer measurable. The doctor had fought so hard to defend the twins, and she ultimately gave her life in the attempt. Her lifeless body now rested in the only place available within Main Sick Bay, her untidy office. The data he received from the lounge's sensors specified that Dr. Dret was cut down by friendly fire. Dennis analyzed the signature of the rifle and took note of the officer that the weapon was issued to. He transferred the data to Sick Bay and security before sending a message to Rory, who was yet another hologram currently inhabiting the Aurora in the main shuttle bay. Alien code bumped against his own, causing his program to lag slightly. He grumbled a series of colorful words and focused on his next objective. The computer's internal defenses. The Sentinel, known as Dennis, would take a perverse pleasure in fouling the Borg algorithms.
1: This post was written by Rico, it's also being read by Rico.
6: As the deck plating shook under his boots, Lieutenant Zrem tried to catch his balance on a nearby hand railing. The Arabella was cautiously moving through the asteroid field, and it did seem to be slowing down the progress of the Borg vessel pursuing them. Zerem continued to scan the field in order to feed updated tactical and better navigation data to helm control. So far, the plan seemed to be working. The ship had quieted slightly, and an almost eerie silence covered the bridge, which had been in chaos just a short time ago. However, his mind drifted as he stared at his workstation, thinking about his morning with Marie. Are you sure you're feeling up to reporting to engineering today, Marie? I know this pregnancy hasn't been the easiest so far for you, Zrem said as he watched the Earthwoman that he loved adjust the collar of her uniform tunic.
0: I'm fine, Chifras. Besides, if I tell them I'm not feeling well again, Karath will just suggest another one of his Klingon home remedies for morning sickness. And the last one he suggested made me sicker than the baby just by watching it wiggle on the plate. <laughs>
6: Marie said with a light laugh as she pulled her blonde hair back into a ponytail. Zrem so loved hearing Marie laugh, and it made him smile and usually laugh as well, something he had not done a lot in his life. Well, okay then. I'm sure they could use your help down there. I know they've been having a slight problem with the warp field calibration sensors, which I happen to know is your other little baby. And you know, maybe you should stop off at your quarters and pick up some, a few more things and bring them here after you get off duty. "'There's enough room, and since you've been staying here, "'I've gotten used to finding your uniforms hanging in the bathroom "'or tripping over your big boots,' (laughs) the tall Andorian said "'as Marie gave him a sly smirk and walked over close to him. "'My boots are
0: not big, blue boy. "'Besides, this place is going to get even more crowded when the baby comes. "'Now come here,'
6: Marie said as Zrem bent down to kiss her. "'Zrem, Zrem, report,' Commander Savril's voice called out "'and brought the lieutenant back to the present.' Ah, we seem to be evading the Borg ship at present, Commander. The asteroid field is definitely causing them trouble with their targeting sensors, Zerem said. Very good, Lieutenant. Keep me posted. Engineering has been secured, but they lost some personnel to the Borg. Don't worry, Zurem. Marie is fine. I need you focused in here, Zerem Savril said to her old friend. Y- y- yes, Commander. I won't let you down, Zerem said as a sigh of relief washed over him. I'd expect nothing less. Now we need to come up with a plan. This cat and mouse situation won't last forever. Once main power is back online, I want a way out of this situation. Let's get to work. Savril said as she worked to keep her emotions in check, as well as she had asked her Andorian friend to do.
0: The next post was written by Hawkeye Meds, Brian C D, and Rate 1701. It also was read by Rate 1701.
2: It didn't take long for the four officers to get to sickbay. Movement was frantic and on the floor lay several Borg and one security officer. The column looked down as he carried the injured engineer. Damn, Ensign Patrick. Karath was the first in and placed his ensign on the floor. He could see there was no room on any of the spare beds. I'm heading back to engineering. There's a lot of damage that needs repairing. Katan nodded and stepped back as Karath ran out. He carefully placed Tuk near Ralla's office door and turned to Nurse Kane. Where is Dr. Trett? Susan glanced up from the injured patient she was working on. Catan! Oh my, look, I'm afraid. An explosion blasted through the outside wall near the turbo lift, and Dunn fell to the floor. He looked back to see a Borg hand emerging from the ruined wall. Borg! Oh, three o'clock! Catan and DeCollin ran towards the door. DeCollin lifted his club and hit the arm was greeted with a green force shield. Damn
1: it! They've adapted
2: to even these weapons! The two men stood back, and Joseph looked around. On the floor was a shredded power cable, sparks bouncing from it, making it writhe around like a snake. He looked at the hole in the wall, and slowly, three Borg began to emerge. Timing it, he pointed to Catan, who goaded the Borg out. Just as all three were huddled together, Takalan dived to the floor throwing the cables into the three drones and causing a huge power surge. Standing back up, he smiled at Catan, who quickly spoke first. Don't say it. DeColin walked past him, smiling. Shocking. Positively shocking. Catan shook his head as DeColin left the sick bay and headed to Deck 15. Suddenly, he popped his head back around the corner. Oh, and those three are on my count, so beers are on you. Before Catan could argue, DeColin was gone. Smiling to himself, Katan silently shook his head, then turned to Nurse Kane. I'm heading back to the bridge to relieve the tactical officer on duty. Can you tell Dr. Dreth that I came by and would like to speak with her once this crisis has passed? Nurse Kane stared silently at Katon, her lower lip trembling, as a tear slowly made its way down her face. "Katon, I'm, I'm so sorry. As the implications of Rala's absence from Sikbe dawned on him, Katan's blood turned to ice, and time seemed to slow to a crawl.
0: Wow, so Season 8 started off with a bang.
1: Didn't it? It was, I mean, really with a bang. I mean, that was huge. I mean, the very first day, there was just so much stuff happening.
0: Yeah, I I think it's, and I say this all the time, but I think this is the best one we've, as a group, have done so
1: far. Well, we keep getting better and better, I think.
0: I think so, but and, I feel like it's so much more organized now.
1: Well, I mean, we did take a month off, and we did a mm-hmm. lot of Skype calls and a lot of discussion on the forums, and we did a lot more prep work, I think, than we've ever done for any of our RPG seasons.
0: Do you think we should do the month off every time?
1: I, uh, I would love that. Um, yeah, if not in a month, maybe two, three weeks. Yeah. You know, just because it did, it did help us brainstorm. I mean, because this story has just evolved. I mean, because you and I came up with, oh, let's do the mirror universe. Mm -hmm. That was it. And then all of a sudden, someone said, let's do the mirror Borg. And we're like, oh, that sounds cool. And next thing we know, we have what you know, what will be potentially one of the best seasons we do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just there's so much stuff going on, and so.
0: You know what I think helped a lot is, I mean, we always do an outline. But um, we really put a lot of thought into it, like you said, you know, when someone came up with the idea of the, the Mirror Borg and then we kind of built upon that and we thought – we put a lot of thought into, okay, now, why would this happen? Mm-hmm. And how could we bring the Mirror Universe into this story and how and make it work right? And yeah. and a lot of thought was put into that with a, a group of people, um, not just one or two, but yeah. just a group. And then – I mean that's the way novelists – a lot of them structure their stories. I mean, some of them just free-form it, but the best ones Mm -hmm. I've heard build their stories upon outlines. They know what will happen in the end. They don't know you know, the paths they'll take to get there, but they fill in all the blanks, and that's exactly what we're doing here, and I hope that in the end it'll be the most cohesive story that we've written so far in the RPG. Um, And I think so far we're on to something good because we've had a lot of compliments from people who aren't, Writers in the story popping into our out of character section, yes. And if you're listening yeah. and you're not a writer, you are more than welcome to post your comments in the out of character section for season eight. We love that, love feedback. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so let's let's uh, get on to discussing what's happened so far. I mean, right out, at the end of season seven, Quinn was transported, or just he disappeared, disappeared from mm-hmm. the bridge. We really don't know what happened to him. Um, Mm -hmm. So with the beginning of season 8 We actually did a little prologue first Which was the first time we've done something like that Mm -hmm. Where we just backtracked a little bit Just to kind of get people up to speed Of what's happening Mm -hmm. And then we started with Quinn's first post Uh, He appeared on a Borg cube And he's not really sure what's going on And um, all he knows is he's by himself He's weaponless And the Borg want him for some reason Mm -hmm. Um, you know and then when he tries to escape he actually runs into uh, a Borgified Nicholas Took which is uh, you know obviously not Borgified or at least he wasn't the last time Quinn saw him so uh, Quinn's really confused at the moment he's not really sure what's going on Mm -hmm. Um, and then back on the Arabella what's happening
0: on the Arabella, they had, let's see, well, the prologue kind of went back. Like, can you hear my husband hammering away on the house in yep. the background? Yep. I'm That's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the last season, the chief security officer was gored by a wild animal and so we kind of picked up with his recovery because no one nothing else was said about him and we wanted to bring him back into this story with him waking up in, you know in sick bay and talking with the doctors and stuff so we picked up with that and did some foreshadowing there and uh, I used that to kind of put Ryla in the afterburner which is the um, the ship's lounge and, and some of the action takes place in the lounge and um, we had, as soon as um, uh, Quinn disappeared from the bridge, Zrem, which is the character that Rico played, um, contacted the, the runabouts that are coming back from the planet, which you've already heard when we read our posts, and uh, they, trans- they transported directly to the bridge. And that's when the, you know, all you know what broke loose with the Borg ships appearing and, and drones beaming onto the ship and chaos everywhere. And yeah. so the prologue was a nice contrast for what was going to happen, I think. And uh, so, yeah. And uh, Ryla is dead now.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, that was just devastating. And the way you did it was horrible. I mean horrible, not as bad as just – just, friendly fire is just –
0: I wanted it to be different because Ugh. everybody who dies in it's Star just, Trek... That's just
1: senseless. I hate senseless deaths.
0: There is a reason for everything.
1: I know, but still. I not mean, don't, don't, make me happy.
0: Yeah, it did. It, you know what? It didn't make me, make me happy uh, either because, um, truth be told, she's my favorite character in the story.
1: Yes! But, me too!
0: But she's... Don't worry. It'll all work out. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That was... And
1: then also uh, of real Sun. Yeah. Being mortified.
0: The, the thing that I... He kept
1: waiting for him to be rescued, and he wasn't rescued. He's
0: not rescued. <laughs> the thing that I'm worried about is having perfect characters, you know, because and, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a character that, that everyone likes, but they have to have some dent in their armor, and I'm trying to set that up to where they're, you know, they have some character development situations occur that will help me to develop them in the future, so...
3: Still that's
0: why shocker. I did it It's not just to do it Not just to make people mad Or, or upset or anything Because I don't know That a lot of people Were that upset But <laughs> She's oh, just you I, know, I didn't just do it like To get rid of an actress <laughs> That I didn't like I wasn't <laughs> acting well or Because I didn't like her Very much there, I really did like I like her the best Of Cyril and Ryla I like I think I like that's Ryla real, the best That's killer So
1: No it'll be good, Really good story development I hope for so For future so we'll see but it was definitely it was well written and and I look forward to the dramatization of that <laughs> we'll the dramati- dramatization of mm-hmm. season 8 mm-hmm. uh, which we are doing so when you are posting just keep that in mind that we will be doing the full-fledged sound effects everything dramatization Musical for
0: season 8 and everything
1: everything that's right of course, everything. season
0: 5 has to come first <laughs> and I'm oh well, yeah yeah it's working on <laughs> boy is that a daunting task I think I finished two scenes.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, yeah, but I'm going to do like too. five
0: at a time, and then I'll post, you know, a part one segment and then a part two. Okay. So it's not, it'll all be right.
1: a... Well, no, I'm looking forward to it, so...
0: It's turning out let's great, that. by the way. Yeah, good.
1: all all a good. very good job. Yeah. So let's see what else is happening. We have uh, security teams running around. I know it's, what, Karath, DeColin, Dunn. and Kat And done.
0: Yeah. Those yeah, are some great scenes. They're kicking some they butt.
1: Some buddy <laughs> fighting scenes, yeah. They uh, rescued Lieutenant Took from yes. engineering,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and they've just been making their way through the ship, just uh, doing what they can to get rid of these Borgs. Luckily, we've stopped Borgs from boarding further, yeah. so there's only a set amount on our ship. The only thing we have to
0: deal with now are the ones on the ship that were former crew members who had been... Borgified.
1: Right.
0: And now we have... I know that, that with- was...
1: Honestly, I have to say that was a shock of all the carnage at the very beginning. Yeah. It was like only six posts in and we lost half our crew. Well, not that bad. Well, the situation Still. Is dire. We, we just lost. Change. We just lost a third of our crew in our last yeah, season. Yeah, but our those people are
0: dead. To- they can never come back again. <laughs> <laughs> they were sick. They had a disease. This is something that has been proven to be uh, a, a um, problem that people can...
1: Reverse. Yeah, we could reverse it. All right. Yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> it had to be dire because the Borg, <laughs> the Borg is scary. You know, they just keep coming and coming. So, yeah, yeah, I
1: agree. I, it was great. I mean, yeah, Just 10. Just reading it. So,
0: oh, and we forgot Uh, Dennis disappeared in in the that's right. Yeah, he he has a, a hollow emitter that's a permanent hollow emitter that he has never... he's ne- Since that moment when Rory helped him become uh, flesh and blood, I guess you can say, um, he's never gone back into the computer, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. He hasn't disappeared yeah. until that moment. Yeah,
1: he's so, always held that Yeah. Arm.
0: But he's in the mainframe now. Yep. So, he's gonna be helping... But he's doing a
1: job. He's yeah. doing a job, and he's helping us defend off the Borg. Yep. So, um... Yeah, but I'm I'm really looking forward to the season. I think, uh, like I said, we started off with a bang and yeah, and it's calmed down a little bit. Uh, we were all excited to jump right in, and like the first two days, I think there were, I don't know, fifteen posts. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's it's I think it's calming down to more, you know, two three a day. Yeah, so it, it's kind of nice. So you're not so overwhelmed. And those first few posts were long. Yeah. Because people really want to get in to the action, which we have.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to uh, take my time posting, too, because I don't want to contribute to, you know, there being a wall of posts for people to read.
1: And well, you're one less character down.
0: Yeah. It's easier <laughs> to
1: do that. And we parked the, the Arabella in a asteroid field. Asteroid right, field, that's right. That's right. And uh, then Quinn is still, uh, Quinn is about to be introduced to the Bork King. And mm-hmm. in, in his last post, he... he was talking to him, but it was just a a bodiless voice that he was talking to and he asked to see this person that he's talking to, so he's about to be introduced to the board King, which hopefully will be cool when it's revealed. Um but we'll see. We'll see how it works. I thought it was but, just uh,
0: very scary, your post about him yeah. being in the in the cube and being surrounded and by himself and not having a weapon.
1: Nothing. Awesome. I know. I know. So <laughs> So um, yeah, we have a, a lot of great things planned for this season, and oh, this is just we beginning. forgot to
0: mention what? the the thing with what do you think is going to happen with Margon?
1: Oh, that's right, Borgified Margon.
0: Because that's the problem that our crew has now is how do you deal with shipmates that are now Borg? Because Borg. in in uh, First Contact, they you know made a big deal about how people are killing their crew members. Remember? Yeah, you that's- just kill them. Yep. They just kill them, and, and then in Voyager we know that you can be brought back from being a Borg. So now they have that to deal with. How do you, how do you yeah. wrangle your former crewmates? You know, without and, killing them. Right. So. So
1: I don't know, I know they've modified the the phasers to stun, so they're mm-hmm. they're able to stun Borgs. Yeah. Or at least a few of them until the shield frequency is found out. And and
0: they were using batlets and just taking out.
1: Yeah, but that also now the Borg is adapted to that, so mm-hmm. they have are. Uh, I don't know that they have. We suggest that. I thought. I thought the last post, they actually um, they adapted. Yes, they adapted to the battlelets Ah. Oh. So metal's no longer a threat, at least to the Borg right now. hmm Um, that's when they showed up in the sickbay. Did you see that one?
0: I didn't get the Did ones this weekend.
1: Okay, exactly. yeah, then that's that's the yeah that's the one okay. hasn't been read yet. It'll be read next week. Okay. Um, and, and speaking of reading, we will be reading every single post for this entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, we know everyone seems to really like that. We got a lot of positive feedback um, from RPGers and non-RPGers that they enjoyed when we actually read the posts. So uh, every week I, w- I will be putting a call out on the forums For folks to help us read um, You don't need to be a, an RPGer to participate If you have a mic and you enjoy doing drama or reading We would more than love to have your guys' help Because there are a lot of posts to read And we're all very limited on time So um, What else? I guess that's it.
0: Yeah, and just pop in and, and check out what's going on. I think, how many posts do you think are written a day? About one or two?
1: Uh, yeah, about, yeah. right now it's about one or two. Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of people, um, you know, are having... It'll pick up.
1: Yeah. It'll pick up and it'll slow down. It, all, it, it always, you know, goes up and down. Yeah, so. Those. But
0: it's fun. It's like a little surprise every day, you know, to yeah. see that there's something new in there and you want to see what what. Has been written. I think yeah. um, Billy Bob on the forums. He he's not a member of our our RPG, but he reads the 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 story. Um yeah. He posted something that I thought was very interesting. He um, couldn't sleep one night, so he opened up the RPG and read it. And he he was just commenting on. Was it was it he or someone else who said it was like reading um a, a Star Trek novel?
1: I think that was someone else but I could be wrong I, don't, yeah. I remember the comment being said but I just don't remember who said it
0: yes but so long, So far it's only two pages long so if you haven't started reading it yet and you want to keep track this it. is the time yeah. to catch on so, or catch you know yeah. get it start reading it so that you don't yeah. get too far behind but again cool. we're going to be reading them so if you do you can catch up on the ready room
1: there you go cool we are the Borg resistance is futile plug into your alcove as we communicate our final thoughts Okay, for our final thoughts, we just want to thank everyone who's contributed so far to Season 8. Like we've said, it's been a a great start to this uh, RPG season. Um, We also want to invite more people to join us. Um, If you're listening to the RPG and you're getting a kick out of it and you're enjoying it and you think you can contribute, then uh, we are always looking on to take on more crew members. You don't need to worry about if it's the beginning or the middle of the season. You can join in and just pretend that you've always been there. Um, Or if you want to wait until the season is is over, let us know so we can build you into the next story. Um, What else, Jen? Uh,
0: We're always looking for people to read posts, too. Oh,
1: yes, yes. Yeah, and also the the RPGers who do post and are reading, just know that I'm going to ask for you to read your post. So if you want to just do it beforehand, that would be great. You know, Once you post it, know that you're going to read it, and you can just send it to me.
0: Um, unless you can't, then let us Unless know. you can't.
1: Yeah, it's not a big deal if you can't, because we have mm-hmm. plenty of other people who are willing to help out. So that's really great. Um, if you want to send anything, comments about the RPG, comments about the Ready Room podcast, uh, anything at all, music. I know that Metron07... Uh, and uh, Moyer777 have been doing a great job at sending us music. Um, be, most of the podcasts, we play their music, mm-hmm. um, and they do a great job. And I know Metron07 is doing all of the music for the dramatization for season mm-hmm. five.
0: He also did the music for the promo. The, yes, the, for
1: under- the, the promo, and he's doing yep. it for the opening of this show, for the mm-hmm. new opening of,
0: yeah.
1: of this show. So, um, yeah, so if you guys want to send us anything at all, you can send it to TheReadyRoomPodcast at gmail.com TheReadyRoomPodcast at gmail.com It's very simple. And uh, we will play it on air. Or if you just want to leave comments, you can go to dot ficom and click on the forums link. And there's a whole section there for the whole RPG game. Um, It's where you can read if you just want to read stuff and, and... not listen to it um or you can just wait each week and listen to the ready room and uh the continuing story of the uss arabella i guess that's it
0: that's it
1: all right well this is kenny
0: and this is jed
1: alien frequencies closed all music used on the Ready room podcast is provided by
3: moyer 777 and metron 07